Good morning and happy Palm Sunday. It is an awesome day to welcome Jesus as our King and specifically for us to begin our Holy Week. Really the the best time of year where we get to walk with Jesus to the cross, where we see him nail all of our sins there, set us free. It's, It's a week of contemplating God's rich mercy for us. It's also a week to celebrate all the things that God has given us through that. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We're, we're not reading from the gospel lesson for our, our meditation for today, but we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And, and I'm really happy about this because Philippians, honestly, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm taking a little prerogative as a, as a preacher, and we're going to look at verse 1 all the way to 11. I know in the bulletin it just says 5 to 11, but I want to read more scripture, so we're going to do that today. I want you to imagine for a second that we live in a country under the control of a king. Now, I say imagine because for a lot of us, probably most of us, we've never experienced what it's like to live under a king. But we know about kings from history, that that kings have control over just about everything in a country. And when they make a decision, it affects things. It influences your own life. When they make a decree, you feel that decree, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So what kind of king do you want what are, what are three traits that you would want in your king? Before you answer that question, maybe we have to, to step back and first evaluate what's important to me. What's important to me for my country and for my well-being? Maybe it's important for you to have a king who's financially savvy, that can help you to be as prosperous as you can be, and to help your country to be prosperous. Maybe you're worried about the the foreign countries out there that want to attack you. So you want a strong, powerful king that's going to protect you. He's going to build up the army and protect you from your enemies. He's going to be a powerful diplomat with the other countries. Maybe you want a king who's, who's wise and fair that, that can maintain a certain level of harmony in your country. Ultimately, you want a king that gives you certain advantages. He's a strong, solid leader. He is powerful and intelligent. So it would make sense that if you got to pick who your king was going to be, you would want somebody that at least brought some of these clear advantages You wouldn't pick a king who looked like a lowly, weak person, who seemed empty and void of any power and strength. But, actually, that's the king you do want. You want a king like this, 
because that king is Jesus. The city of Philippi, you see it up there? The little circle around it. It's in Greece. It's, it's a little city that's not unlike we are in the United States. You look at our, our past presidents, our, our current president. You look at our Congress. There are three things that these people have in common. They either have high social status, they have made some great accomplishment in their life, or they have money. It was the same in Philippi. If they got to pick who was going to rule them, they were going to pick a guy who, who had social standing, who was on the top of that social ladder, had money and influence. And boy, was this city full of these people. Philippi was mostly Gentile, and about a quarter of the people that lived in that city were retired, decorated Roman military officers. Not only were they leaders of their own battalions, but they were successful on the battlefield. They, they received awards. And then when they retired, the Roman government, as appreciation, gave them a spot of land in Philippi. So being a landholder, a great leader, and a successful guy, <laughs> these guys had great power and influence in the city of Philippi. And the whole city was structured this way. You had the upper class, and there was a ladder, a social ladder. And the lower class copied them. They had a social ladder. So Paul's message for us this morning, and Paul's message for the Philippians, was totally countercultural. This was against everything that was a part of who they were in their city. Let's read the first part of Paul's letter here. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul's giving us a look into the mind of Christ throughout his life and specifically here on Palm Sunday. You see, Jesus didn't think like you and me. Jesus didn't funnel everything through what was best for himself. Jesus funneled everything through his deep love for you. That's what makes him the king that you need. Think about this. Jesus was 100% true God in the flesh. He had every ounce of the power of God the Father. He didn't act like, just act like God. He wasn't just pretending to be God. He was God. And people saw this. There was evidence of this throughout his life. 
these great miraculous miracles that he did that no other human could replicate. When Jesus spoke, people knew that he was speaking with authority as one who was speaking from from God. They knew he was God and that he had all the advantages of God. But, but, this is how much he loves you. He had all of those advantages of God, yet what did he do? He set those aside. He didn't take those advantages. He, he humbled himself. He took on the weakness of our own bodies. He was weak, just like you and I, yet he, he didn't sin once. He was the most powerful king, yet he chose to humble himself and serve. Is that the kind of king that you want? It's not the kind of king the Jews wanted. This is a great scene, isn't it? Jesus riding into Jerusalem, greeted as a king, The Jews shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. They're greeting him with the greeting of the Messiah, the son of David, the the long-promised one. Except their greeting for this king was not a greeting for the king that they were looking for. They were looking for somebody different than Jesus. They wanted someone who was going to, to conquer the Romans, to bring the Jewish nation back to prominence. You know, back when they they went into the promised land and they were conquering all of these nations, they were on top. They wanted that again. They welcomed Jesus as a king, but they wanted him to be their earthly king. Little did they know that this guy who was riding in on a donkey... He doesn't care about your social standing. He doesn't care about how much money you have. He doesn't care about the things that you have accomplished in your life. I mean, he's riding on a donkey. (laughs) The beast of burdens. Shouldn't a king be riding on a chariot with these big, powerful horses pulling him? But Jesus... He was humble. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to death. Because what was he doing when he was riding into Jerusalem? He was riding towards the cross. He could have ridden away. He could have run away. But he was riding into Jerusalem straight towards the cross because he loves you so much. That's the kind of king that you want. Did you catch the immediate tension from this verse? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can you feel the tension there? Let me me tell you a story to illustrate just how hard this can be in in every aspect of your life. Besides being a vicar, it's what I am now, I'm a pastor intern, 
working at a golf course was one of my favorite jobs ever. I love golf, so you can imagine. And I kind of was fortunate to get the job in the first place. I was just playing golf at this place, and this guy said, hey, do you want a job here? <laughs> sure. Well, that guy that got me in to work there, him and I became good friends really quickly. It made our shifts go really fast, and we had a good time together. And then after our shifts, we'd go out and play golf together. It, it was good. Summer was going fast. We, was making, we were making money. We were having fun. And then about halfway through the summer, he, he came to me and said, hey, I got, I got some news for you. I got this job offer at, at this other course. This was his, his career, so this course was a prestigious course. He was stepping up the ladder in his, in his career by taking this job. He'd be paid a little bit more. He'd be working his way up. It was a great, great opportunity for him. And you know what I said to him? I said, great, that's awesome, take that job. But you know what I was thinking? <laughs> I was disappointed. I was angry. How dare you ruin what we have? <laughs> this is so good. Why are you ruining it? I wasn't thinking about what was best for him. I was funneling everything that he was telling me through how this affected me. I was being selfish. And it's so easy, so easy to be selfish. To funnel those thoughts through how this affects me. To actually be angry or disappointed by the blessings that other people receive because I'm not receiving those blessings or because it changes my own situation. This happens. And it's not just in your golf course jobs. <laughs> this happens in your lives too. And when those things happen, when you recognize that you're being selfish and that you're being jealous of what other people have, God wants you to recognize this and deal with it. But here's the problem. A lot of times we don't deal with our own selfishness. In fact, a lot of times we don't even recognize that we're being selfish. So God sent you, his son, to be your king. Not your earthly king. Not your king that is just going to give you whatever you want. But the king of your heart. That's why Paul wrote this to, to the Philippian people. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from, from what? From being united with Christ. If any comfort from, from what? His love. These, these things have a source. If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Paul is telling him that Jesus Christ, who loves them so much, is actually their king of love that saves you and saves me from our selfishness and changes us. He changes you to be like him. 
to have the mindset of Christ. That means doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So think about this. When you're posting a picture on social media, yet you, you realize that you're only posting that picture to, to get the likes or the comments and to boost your self-esteem. Is that, is that vanity? If you funnel everything that happens to you through how this affects me, yet fail to, to see how your, your actions, your words, even your thoughts, if you fail to see how those affect other people, is that being selfish? If you're following along with your fill-in-the-blanks, God wants me to stop thinking about me and to start thinking about others. But he, does, he doesn't just leave it at that. Because he knows. He knows if he just said, think like Christ, that you wouldn't be able to do it. That's the thing. When we're told to do this or don't do that, we as humans, we, we can't just do that. We need a king. We need Jesus to be the king of our hearts and to change us to be just like him. And Jesus, he is that king. And then he explains this is the mindset of Christ. He goes on to verse 6. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He did that himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus had all of the glory of God. Yet when he came to earth, he never, never, not even once, used that glory to his own advantage. Instead, he humbled himself. Instead, he died the death of a criminal. So when Paul says, think like Christ, have the mindset of Christ, in all of your relationships, think about what that means. First of all, in what relationships? In your relationships with your family, and not just your, your favorite sibling, but even that sibling that you don't get along with so well. Have the mindset of Christ. In your relationships with your friends, but not just your friends, your enemies as well. Have the mindset of Christ. Because what did Christ do? He carried people's sorrows. He listened to their stories. He calmed their fears. He was patient. He humbled himself and became a servant. Remember him washing the disciples' feet? He gave himself up. 
for you. So to think like Christ takes a radical, countercultural life change. It means not funneling your thoughts through what is best for me, but funneling every thought through what is best for other people and what gives praise to God. It means not demanding that everyone else out there change to accommodate me. This one's big. But that I willingly give myself up to other people to accommodate them. It means when I have the right and the privilege that out of love, I might yield that privilege. I might not use that right. When I have the advantage, maybe out of love, I won't use that. If that sounds difficult, you're right. It is difficult. When we think about having a mind like Christ, it seems impossible. And frankly, it would be impossible if Jesus had not come to do what he did. He went to the cross to save you from all of your sins. He also went to the cross to give you a new heart. A heart that can serve him. Because your old heart, it would have been impossible to think like Christ. Your old heart only thought about yourself. But this new heart that, that Jesus has given you thinks about others, thinks of others better than yourself. Your new heart is changed. Jesus rode into Jerusalem with praises and shouts on either side, but he wasn't focused on that. He, he didn't pull out his phone and check how many likes he got on, on Facebook and Instagram. He was focused on one thing, the cross. In your relationships with others, that's how you have the mind of Christ. You focus on the cross. Because when you focus on the cross, you think of others as better than yourself. Because you see them as Christ sees them. When you focus on the cross, it's easy to be humble. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he changed you. Gave you a new heart. You want that king. You want that king that changes you. And here's the beauty of all of this. It didn't end at the cross. Sure, Jesus died. He, he was put in a tomb. But the tomb couldn't hold him. We know how Holy Week ends. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. He accomplished what he set out to do, and that was to save you. So God exalted him. That's what, how Paul concludes. He says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee, every knee, will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus was on earth, 
he knew that his life was coming to an end. He knew as he rode into Jerusalem that he was going to die, but he also knew that he would return to glory, that he would be glorified in his saving work for you, that he would be exalted and receive all of the glory that he was due. So he didn't worry or stress out about humbling himself here on earth because he knew he had that. You have the same thing. You have the sure hope of heaven, thousands and thousands of blessings waiting for you in heaven. Jesus said he's gone to prepare a place for you there. That is your sure hope. You have that. And because you have that waiting for you, you can afford to give up some of the the comforts of this life because you know that you have the greatest comfort waiting for you in heaven. That's the, the whole truth that's underlying this section. Jesus could relax on earth, relax, so to speak, because he knew that that heavenly glory would be his. He would be glorified because Jesus was victorious. He's not still the, the humble king riding in on a donkey. He is the glorious king sitting on the throne before whom every knee, every knee, even those people that, that don't believe, that reject Jesus as king, they will bow before Jesus one day. They will acknowledge that he is truly Lord. And God will be glorified in his justness. But God will be glorified in his love. He gets to save you and bring you into that glory. Jesus won for you the greatest thing. He saved you. He gave you eternal life. Do you want a king like that? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for being our our humble king. Lord, sometimes in our lives we we want a different king. Our sinful heart yearns for, for something different. But create in us a new heart that wants you to be our king, the king of our hearts, the king of our lives. Give us a heart that, that thinks like you and that serves other people. Always help us to focus on the cross and especially during this Holy Week to focus on what you did for us. Thank you, dear Jesus. Amen.